I jumped and I grew my wings on the way down. And I think that was the first start. We brought to him our Chipotle napkin, not a joke. We had drawn out every screen of the ShareShare app. This is back in the day when we were eating rice and beans, trying to save up for this thing. And we handed him this napkin and said, this is what we need to build. You're listening to Side Hustle Pro, the podcast that teaches you to build and grow your side hustle from passion project to profitable business. And I'm your host, Nikayla Matthews-Okome. So let's get started. This episode of Side Hustle Pro is brought to you by the Color Noir app. I remember being 13 and visiting one of my favorite cousins in Brooklyn. I walked into her apartment and she was posted up on the couch with a coloring book. Mind you, she had to be like 23 years old at the time. And I remember asking her, uh, is this your coloring book? You color? Isn't that for kids? Low key, it was kind of shady of me, but I was really confused. But she told me, yes, I'm coloring and it's relaxing. That was the first time I'd ever heard that. So then I tried coloring myself. And ever since then, I have found that coloring books are one of the best ways to just zone out and relax. Easy, simple self-care. So I was very excited when Moyo decided to develop his very own coloring book in an app, and it's called Color Noir. And he actually asked me to work on it with him. I have to find a way back on the show. I mean, isn't he always finding his way back on the show? So again, the app is called Color Noir. It's out now. That's Color, N-O-I-R. You have never seen a coloring book app like this. It celebrates Black Girl Magic. What else? Of course, in all of its glory, you're going to love it. It was so much fun selecting the images and curating the app features together. Right, babe? That's a fact. It was a lot of fun. And it's a proud Okome production. So to get it, open up your iOS App Store app, search for Color Noir, and enjoy. Again, that's Color, N-O-I-R. And make sure you hit subscribe in the app so you can get all of the amazing images and bonuses dropping each and every month. Enjoy. Hey, hey, guys. Welcome, welcome back to the show. Today in the guest chair, we have Courtney Caldwell, the co-founder and COO of beauty tech startup ShareShare, the first on-demand salon and barbershop space rental app. With ShareShare, licensed stylists can rent workspace by the day in cities all over the world, while salon and barbershop owners make money on unused space. How cool is that? Prior to co-founding ShareShare, Courtney managed an award-winning salon with her husband and co-founder, which was the genesis behind ShareShare. Before that, Courtney spent two decades building winning teams in tech marketing and ran a boutique consulting firm where she fast-tracked international sales and marketing success for brands such as Zendesk, Zenefits, and Qualtrics. ShareShare is a 2018 Google Demo Day winner, a 2016 Tech.co Startup of the Year, and a YC Fellowship and 500 Startups alum. Let's get right into it. So welcome to the guest chair, Courtney. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for being here. You know, we tried this before. You're a woman on the move, but we couldn't quite make it work in the car. (laughs) So I'm glad we are doing this over. Now, first things first, in your own words, give us a peek into your life. When were you bitten by the entrepreneurship bug? Oh, that's a great question. You know, honestly, you know, I was a kind of kid who 
had been sold um, a certain dream, right? Like my parents were used to, you know, being a part of corporate America for, you know, 50 plus years. They thought that the American dream started out with going to college, graduating, getting um, a second degree, and then working at the same company for years on years on years. And so that's the kind of dream I kind of bought into. Um, but then once I graduated with my bachelor's in marketing, then went back to school to get my MBA in marketing and then actually used my degree um, in the 20 plus years that I worked in corporate America, I ended up hitting a wall. Um, I had become the head of marketing for a company and I looked up and said, huh, I thought this was what I wanted, but now that I'm here, what now? Um, and so I was talking to my husband about what my next move was going to be. And I thought about consulting and kind of kicked that around a little bit. And he said, you should definitely do it. You have the great contacts. You know, anyone you worked with in the past is going to say yes, at least just try it. And so I did. Um, I jumped and I grew my wings on the way down. And I think that was the first start to me understanding what this world called entrepreneurship really meant. Um, and so that was a great segue into Shearshare when we started that less than two years later. Oh, wow. So your initial career path, you worked in marketing. Was that in any particular industry like tech or? It was in tech. Exactly. So I worked um, at Oracle. I used to run Oracle's digital strategy and innovations group worldwide, had PNL across five continents. Before that, had worked uh, at a customer experience um, software company. Before that, had worked um, at a marketing automation software company. So always tech, always B2B. Okay, so you were engrossed in that world. And when you say you took the leap, grew your wings on your way down, was this into marketing consulting, freelancing? That's right. Yeah. So I, I had no idea about, I was just so used to when you get a job, right? Yeah. You show up on the day and they give you a computer. They right. hand you everything. Right. <laughs> they give you corporate card. They tell you how many weeks of vacation, or remind you rather, how many weeks of vacation you negotiated, uh, what your pay is going to be. You hand them a bank account and the check just shows up. It magically appears every couple of weeks. And so when I first thought about starting my own thing, I was like, well, where do I get all that? Like, mm -hmm. where, where do you part when you start thinking about, well, how much are you going to charge now by hour? You know, what really is your value and what's your worth? And then what about health insurance? Like someone usually hands me a card and I check a box and I magically get to show up at the doctor's office and hand them a card and pay a copay. So like what happens now? Mm -hmm. um, I mean, just every question when you're starting from nothing, I had to ask of myself. Um, and so that was really the experience I had about, you know, jumping and having to grow my wings. You had to figure it out. Right. And how did you figure it out? Because that's something I consider too doing marketing consulting at first. And I just was like, how do I even gain clients? How, who do I work with? How do I keep long-term contracts? How did you navigate that whole thing? Um, so luckily, my very first client was a mentor of mine. Um, she was the VP, uh, the global VP of marketing um, at the company before Oracle. And so I went back to her. Her name was Danny. Um, and I went back to Danny and said, hey, Danny, I know you're taking on a new role at XYZ Company. If you could use any help, you know, I'm here. And she said, oh, well, actually, I do have a project that, you know, the other team members have other you know, competing priorities. It'd be great if one person could kind of knock it out. And I know your work ethic. I know your work product. Let me just go ahead and hand it to you. So she actually gave me a contract and that kind of started out with, oh, okay, I can pull uh, paragraphs from this contract and I can delete this contract for when I go out and kind of fish on my own. And then my second project was another 
actually who was head of sales, another CSO who I worked with previously at another company. And again, he had handed me a pretty tight um, contract and I would just learn as I went. I would pull from here, I would add there, and then I created my own long-term contract. But then thinking about like the various tools that I wanted to use, um, some projects would give me their devices, so I would have to use their laptops. Um, to do their work. Um, others would say, you know, whatever, you know, laptop you use, you know, that's your machine. You choose to do that. Had to figure out how to go get um, insurance, you know, for the work product that I was putting out. Didn't realize I needed that when I was first doing the work. Um, and so I just, again, I learned as I went. There's really no blog post. There's no book. There's no XYZ for dummies that's going to prepare you for <laughs> Yes, how to start consulting on your own. It's a process, but it, it it really does start with that first. Okay, I'm gonna fumble for a bit and figure this out. So how long did you do that before starting Share Share? Two years I did that and loved it. I loved being able to uh, do what I was really good at, which is making things look and sound appealing, whether whether that's for a B2B company, a software company. I worked with a lot of small businesses, medium-sized firms, um, large companies that were coming out with a different product line. And I was able to travel. Like they took me everywhere around the globe. So I was still able to do the things that I loved, but put my own uh, value and worth on it. And then what inspired you to pivot? So you had this, it seems like this great second career working for yourself going on. And I'm assuming it was going well on the money side. What what inspired you to pivot into creating ShareShare? And tell us what ShareShare is. Oh, sure. Um, so ShareShare is the first, again, B2B. So first B2B mobile app that lets stylists rent space to work by the day. So any salon owner, barbershop owner, spa owner who has excess capacity, maybe an open station or an empty suite, gets to lease that out by the day on the ShareShare platform. Uh, and honestly, it was a problem that we were just trying to solve for ourselves. We really happened upon ShareShare by accident and really just kind of pure desperation. Um, so on the other side of the house is my husband. Um, and he's been in the beauty industry for 25 years. This man earned his doctorate degree in professional barbering and cosmetology, wrote a best-selling book on how to achieve long-term success in the beauty and style industry. Like he lives and breathes this. And so of course, being the wife of an entrepreneur, you know, you're kind of pulled into various aspects of the business. And so we both would help run um, our salon. Like I assisted in hiring and vendor relations and purchasing products, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and so one day back in 2012, gosh, it seems like yesterday, um, we had decided to expand the salon. Mm -hmm. And so we ended up having both open stations and empty suites. And years prior, whenever we had an open chair, we'd have like a list of people who said, hey, sign me up. When someone leaves, I want in, you know, because they knew the rep reputation. They knew that we continued to win awards, um, and not just in the industry, but in our local area. And so they wanted to be a part of our team and loved our culture. And at this particular moment, um, people were not beating down our doors. And we started to say, okay, this is very odd. Like wh why, why the change? Like nothing's changed on our end. We're still putting out the best stuff. We're still training up the you know great stylists and barbers who are out here in the community. We're still doing our part for the, for when it comes to community service, what's happening. And instead we started to get phone calls from stylists saying, Hey, I just need to rent space like on a Friday, Saturday. Could you do that? Hmm. And our my husband came home and he said, I got the strangest phone call. Like someone didn't want to rent our suite, um, you know, long-term. They didn't want to sign a long-term contract or be committed, but she just needs space uh, for the weekend. What do you think? And to be honest with you, I kind of laughed. I was like, who? <laughs> Like, that's we don't silly. have time for these flaky people. 
never do that. Yeah. Uh, but honestly, I also said that Twitter would never make it either. And look where we are today. So clearly, maybe there's some more learning that I need to take uh, up under. But so that happened and we gave it a try. Uh, we love the experience so much to where the stylist said, OK, now I have to go to this part of town or this part of town or my one of my clients is going to travel to San Antonio, which is like four hours from Dallas. You know, can you guys find me salon owners that'll do for me in those cities what you did for me here? And we're like, oh, OK, sure, whatever. And that's how Share Share got started. I think it's so important that you emphasize the B2B nature of the app. I think I might know why, but why do you really want to make sure that people understand that this is B2B? Yeah, well, you know, people are trying to figure out um, how to take tech and layer it onto the beauty industry. Um, so you'll see a lot of booking apps, for example, right? So, you know, if you're a stylist, or sorry, if you're a consumer standing in the middle of New York City and you want to get your nails done, you can go onto a couple of apps and find a nail tech near you. Right. Um, but what people don't understand is how we actually work, like how stylists find spaces to work, how barbers find spaces to work. Um, and no matter what shampoo they like to use on a client, no matter what pair of clippers a barber may employ, they have to have space to work. And so we figure if we feel this very nascent need for them, because it very much sits at the very beginning of the stylist life cycle, then we've done our job. We're helping them to make more money by saving them more money. And we're helping to keep our beauty and barbering businesses open. It's so very needed. Yes. And did anything like this exist before? Were you improving on a system or was this completely new? Was there no way for stylists to kind of book temporary space? No, no, there was no better mousetrap. We are the mousetrap. And so we are trying to figure out every day how to build something that never before existed. So what did you guys do next? So you have a salon. You're also working full time as a marketing consultant. How long did it take you to actually go from idea to app? Yeah. So we had no idea like how to start a startup company, like a, a tech company, right? Like my husband's not a technical co-founder. I do not have a background in coding, uh, but we had a conversation with um, now a really good friend of ours who mentioned the word startup years ago when I was working at Oracle. Mm -hmm. I had flown with City was doing some work out there uh, with some teams and ended up having lunch with this gal. And she had mentioned the word startup, like I mentioned. And I just kind of put it in the back of my head. I was like, okay, that's her world. This is my world. Those paths will never cross and kind of just forgot about it. But then when we started researching what our idea was and what it kind of fit into the realm of like, oh, I think it's like a startup. So we're going to call that lady that you talked with before and just kind of run this idea by her. Now, unbeknownst to us, she is like she's a powerhouse in Silicon Valley. Uh, we know this now. Didn't know it before. Like she cannot walk from her car to the grocery store without being pitched by somebody. <laughs> right? So so we pitched her, I guess, our idea. Didn't know what a pitch was back in the day and said, this is what we've been experiencing. You know, we're kind of like this concierge service right now because all these stylists have our personal phone numbers. And so they call us and say, hey, Ty, hey, Courtney, I need to uh, find a space in this city. Um, or, you know, I just moved to Nashville, but I need a space, you know, that has this, these types of amenities. Can you help me out? I only mm -hmm. want to do by the day. Um, and she said, oh my gosh, she's like, that's a billion dollar idea. Now, you know, her words were very supportive and validating, but honestly, Ty and I had to know for ourselves first that we had an idea that actually had legs to it before we could even hear that from someone else. And so having the conversation with her, she said, well, you know, it'd be smart for you guys to get a technical co-founder. Said, well, we don't have that. We're, what's plan B? <laughs> she said, okay, well, 
have a, I have a friend who, again, her connections are, are vast and deep. I have a guy who could possibly help you guys build out your MVP. Um, he has a third party technical team. And if you guys would you know, you know, interview him, see if there's a match, you can go from there. And that's how we built out the first version of our MVP. So that guy, was he an engineer? Who was he? Yeah, he was a businessman. So he had been an entrepreneur many times before and he was running. He was a great purveyor of engineering talent. So he didn't code himself. He didn't dive into the code and build out sheer share. Um, but we brought to him our Chipotle napkin. Not a joke. <laughs> <laughs> That had drawn out every screen of the Shearshare app because this is back in the day when we were eating rice and beans trying to save up for this thing called Shearshare. And we handed him this napkin and said, this is what we need to build. And he was like, okay, great. I have engineers who can do this. And so we, we just helped him understand the bigger vision, mm-hmm. um, what the minimal transaction was going to be on the app, what the stylist expected to see, what the host or salon owners expected to see. And then he and his team went out and built it and came back to us with a very rudimentary product that could at least accept uh, credit card information. Okay. And I'm assuming <laughs> there was some investment involved in this. What was that initial upfront investment and how long was that process of development? Great question. No, so so Ty and I bootstrapped this thing for the first couple of years. We didn't know that there were people out there who would give you money to go live your dream. We didn't know that there were programs out there that were called accelerators or incubators that would invest money for a certain percentage of your company. And so we just did what we knew how to do as entrepreneurs. And that is you if you have a dream and you want to try it out, you've got to pay for it. And so, like I said, we were eating rice and beans. We were doing everything we could to build up that savings account. And we pretty much gave all of that to the third party engineers to go build up this MVP. Wow. It was a couple of years later, yeah, that we um, that we came across an incubator program or accelerator and first did Y Combinator Fellowship, which was their online program okay. that came with a 20K grant. And then we went to um, TechCo Startup of the Year we were actually entered by um, that third-party tech team that said, hey, you guys really have something. You should probably start telling people about it. And then one um, 2016 Tech Co. Startup of the Year. And with that came a fast track to 500 startups. So we were part of Batch 19. Now, did you face any mental just doubts and challenges along this way? Like, were there any moments where you were like, what are we doing? Is this going to work? You know, to be honest with you, no, it, it has not hit me where, where there's been doubt because we, we lived it for three years. I mean, mm-hmm. for three years, Silas had our personal phone numbers and they would call us and say, hey, I just graduated from this beauty school down the street. I need to find some place to work for two days. That's within like a 10 mile radius. I'm like, okay. And so we just did that. We were just helping the community, which is what we do. And we were hearing from salon owners like, oh my gosh, thank you guys for sending that, those people to me because now I can keep my doors open. Um, and then we'd hear from new stylists that we were helping them launch their businesses sooner. And so we were just doing again, what we knew how to do was to help people. And by doing that, we were ending up helping ourselves. I just love it. I love the fact that, you know, you're not only helping the stylists, but ultimately the customers, too, because there's 
people who we, you know, you, you meet someone, they're an awesome stylist, and they're so awesome that they start getting booked all over the world. But when they are in town, you are willing to travel to whatever spot they're at. So if they can have a location and say, hey, I'm in D.C. for two days, you know, book your appointments, I'll be here. That's an amazing, you know, reward for a customer as well to still be able to see their stylist. Yeah, we're actually seeing now that the end consumer is starting to tell their stylists about us. Yes. <laughs> Which we didn't expect before. But, you know, the vast majority, like 90% of the bookings on the ShareShare app today are within like a 10-mile radius. So it's people who are looking for space near them, but maybe their client is, you know, 30 minutes away. And instead of having to fight traffic, um, you know, they are now able to find space near that person to get his or her hair done. Okay. And so saving t- them tons of time, tons of headache and tons of money. And everybody's happy, right? The salon owner's happy because yes. they get that easy chair. The stylist is happy because they're only paying for space to work when and where they need it. And definitely the consumer's happy because they don't have to worry about, oh, I have to, you know, uh, have competing priorities with soccer practice and putting dinner on the table. Like they can get their services done near them immediately. So yeah, everybody's happy. Now, let's talk a little bit about the the preparation you did for some of these amazing programs that you were a part of, because I know some people are interested in pitching themselves and some people even might think that it's, it's going to be easier than it is. And I want to really break down what it takes to be attractive to something like a Y Combinator Fellowship or Tech.co. So at what stage was the app that MVP was built? How many years had you been working on it before you applied for the Y Combinator Fellowship and before you received Tech.co's Startup of the Year? The same month that the MVP was ready was the same month that we Um, applied for our first um, accelerator program. So again, very rudimentary. Um, I'm so happy now that we have our engineering team in-house. We just, you just don't know until you know. but it was very soon thereafter because, again, we, we knew we had something and we, we had to do something to get, to get away from the manual procedure. Like we Ty was finishing up um, writing his best selling book. You know, I'm still uh, traveling around and it was getting to be way too much. And so we tried to Google, you know, what it is that we were doing. And that was the aha moment for us. We're like, oh, my gosh, we can't find anything that does what we were going to do because you know, honestly, we were going to push people towards whatever app we found. <laughs> right, right. Like, oh, go download this app. You know, it does exactly what we do. And we couldn't find it. And so that's why we knew we had to build it. But so that first month, you know, one of the first things that people ask you when you're applying for any kind of program, pitch competition or accelerator, or incubator, they say, okay, well, tell me, describe in one line, like what, what you do, like what's your bigger vision, but kind of really take it down to like the brass tacks. And so for us, I don't think we've ever changed what we've said in the very beginning because we did a lot of work to make it super simple and we had to, right? Because, you know, our, the people, the community that we serve is very, we, we cannot make it difficult to understand. Like what we help you do is save money, right? What we help the salon owner do is make money on empty space. Like at the end of the day, we're monetizing excess capacity, much like an Airbnb, much like an Uber, and so um, talking directly to our community really helped us refine what the message was back to the investors. And so that was thing number one for us. Again, we didn't know that we were coming up with a pitch, quote unquote. We were just trying to make uh, the explanation of what this new thing that's never existed before actually did. OK. And is that what motivated you to join these programs? No, the money. The money. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> I can be honest. Like right. rice and beans, it's only good for so long. Yes. Um, but but it was it was not just the money. Let me, I, I say that in jest you a that, little bit. That next um, level of help. It was, yeah, it was the money and it was the help. Right. So we again, we did not know what a tech company looked like. You know, you hear about Facebooks and you hear about the apples of the world, but and, and Instagram. But to actually build one from nothing, like okay, well, who knows about this? You know, same question we asked ourselves when we said this sounds like a startup. Who do we ask about that? Mm-hmm. Like we have Ty and I have no problem asking questions that we don't have the answers to to try to get as much knowledge as possible. And so we started asking questions about well, who would really be a good fit? Who would really be able to help us propel the business forward? And it came down to Y Combinator and 500 startups. So that's where we went. Okay. Now, tell us about Share Share before these accelerator programs and after. What was that next level you were in and, and what did you do next? Well, first of all, I would be embarrassed to show you guys what the app looked like. <laughs> it was it was ugly. I'll just I'll just admit it. It, it was very ugly. Um, and I, even to this day, I laugh at the fact that people put in their credit card information. I'm like, they actually trusted us enough to give us their money. I mean, it was you know very like almost negligible information about the host. One picture was on the app. It was like half a chair. You could barely see the suites in there. I'm just amazed that people gave us money. Like, thank God for that. But I think that's also a testament to the fact that because Ty and I come from the industry, Mm -hmm. our own stylists and salon owners trust us, right? So we're not going to, you know, stab them in the back with anything. We're here to help everybody win. Um, but so before these accelerator programs, um, Share Share was an unknown entity for sure. Um, we didn't know how to approach an investor meeting. We didn't know what kind of investments were even plausible. We didn't know um, what kind, like what's a pitch deck and how do you follow up with an investor meeting and what do you go in prepared to do or say and how do you find the right person who's going to help you take this thing to the next level? Because it's not just about me going out and getting investment dollars. Right. It's more so of who's the person who we believe is going to be a good fit for our cap table, who we want to invite on to the team, right? And they just happen to have a check. Um, so after these accelerator programs, there's still, it, it, feel, it felt like there was even more work to do. Like you always feel like when you get a certain, get to a certain level, you're like, oh, we made it. But it's never, it's never that, especially in tech and especially in startup and especially in beauty. there's always something new, something different, something fresh coming down the pike. Uh, but after those accelerator programs, a few more people had heard about Sheer Share and that really helped from an investment standpoint because it, it was less about having to walk into a room and have to introduce ourselves for the first time, at least in a few of the meetings and not many, but a okay. few of the meetings walk in and someone say, oh, one of my investor cronies told me about this different marketplace and I was interested to hear more about it. And we'll get into the investment piece in a bit, but I'm curious to know, at what stage did you bring the engineering in-house? I heard you mention that. Um, were you still working with the original business liaison who had a team or did you go out and recruit your own engineers? Yeah, again, great question. If I could have done it over again, we would have brought engineering in-house from day one. We probably would have started with a technical co-founder. And I say that because of all the bumps and bruises that we've been through. Like Ty and I, we we were dead set against spending all the time and energy that it takes to go find a really good engineer and then an engineering team, right? Because they always multiply themselves. Because in our minds, we're thinking, okay, well, we are the subject matter experts, right? Like mm-hmm. no engineer, no other person knows more about the beauty industry and um, the day-to-day challenges that we all face than we do. And so as long as we tell them 
what needs to go on the app, then we can build it. So if we need to stay with this third party engineering firm for a few months more, let's do that. Because again, we're telling them what to build. They're not going to know what to build. But oh my gosh, again, if I could do it from day one, we would have started with engineers on our team because they just think differently. Now that we have our engineering team in-house, they just think differently about the solutions, right? Mm-hmm. Like we come to them with, you know, th- different things that the ops team is hearing, different things that we're seeing when we go talk to um, beauty schools or at these industry events, um, just legislation in general, changing the industry a little bit. And they are thinking long-term with us versus the engineers that we paid for. We're just thinking in sprints. They're thinking, uh, of, do I have to build for the next three months? Okay. Right. And it's a lot longer process too. Like you have to do so much more planning when you have um, an exterior team versus having your your team members sit right next to you. And then when you when they launch something and maybe it broke something else, like that's a whole nother process because maybe they're in a different time zone that you are. So now you have to wait and you could be losing users while right. you're waiting to come back online. Whereas if something happens right now, it'll be fixed in the next five minutes. Right. Like the, on it. And they even know that it's broken. So yeah, the, the, the two different worlds are very, very different. Um, I would, I would tell anyone if you're, if you don't have any technical talent, if you're not a coder yourself, but you're looking to create an app, save yourself a lot of headache and a lot of time and try to find somebody who you mesh with, who you feel like you can build a rockstar company with, because you definitely need that tech talent. Got it. And, you know, that's a very helpful observation because if larger companies like Apple can have releases and every single time there's some kind of bug, what would make us think that, you know, we're building a lifelong B2B application that is going to change with the industry and with time that we wouldn't need in-house engineering? I'm going to say this because you asked me, how did we find our first engineers? Yes. yes. I would not put pressure on if someone's listening, they're thinking about, well, where do I even start? Mm-hmm. And once I have my idea, maybe I, where do I go now? Mm-hmm. Don't think about, oh, I have to build this team of 10 engineers today. Yeah. No. What will be mind boggling to you, and it still doesn't make sense to me, is that once you find that first solid engineer, because that talent is grade A talent, they're going to attract other grade A engineers. So they eventually end up doing the work for you. You uh. find one and they bring and attract more people like them. And so it gets easier in the hiring process. And that also made me think about um, the engineers are, when you said they're looking at things differently, do you find that they're also paying way more attention to how users are actually using the app? So we, you might have an idea of it, but they're actually going to look at that data and say, actually, after they hit the home screen, they're then doing this. Oh, yes. Yeah, we we learned that very early on with our first couple of engineering hires. Like, first thing out the gate, they're like, where's the dashboard? We're like, what's that? (laughs) (laughs) A dashboard kind of gives you a visual glimpse of your business at any time of day, any minute, any whatever slice you want to take. Like, oh, we probably need one of those. And so once they built, because we were just asking people, like we come back and say, Oh, you know, Shirley had a share share stay yesterday. Hey, Shirley, how was that share share stay? Um, and so, so we were learning very slowly, but we were learning manually. Okay. And so, once we build up the dashboard, it's very easy to have that conversation with engineering and with our ops team. We all gather around and say, okay, these are things we've been hearing, these are things we've been seeing. Now, how does this translate into the product roadmap? Definitely. Hey guys, it's Nikayla here with a quick word from our sponsors. Hey, hey, y'all. Second quarter of 2019 has officially begun. 
So tell me, what skill have you been meaning to work on that you haven't gotten to yet? Now is the time. And there's no better place than Skillshare to start learning and growing today. Skillshare is an online learning community for creators just like us. It has over 25,000 classes in subjects like photography, entrepreneurship, graphic design, writing, marketing, and even podcasting. You name it. I even created a course and you can take it, my How to Start Your Own Podcast course. It's on Skillshare so you can learn how to record, how to edit, how to publish your show and get started today as a podcaster. Huge thanks to Skillshare for supporting Side Hustle Pro with a special offer just for you. You can get two months of unlimited access to Skillshare for free. So sign up, go to Skillshare.com slash Side Hustle Pro. Start working on your dreams today. That's Skillshare.com slash Side Hustle Pro to start your two months free right now. One last time, that's Skillshare.com slash Side Hustle Pro. Hey guys, I know a lot of you are juggling your side hustle and a full-time job. And I know the stress that can come with that dealing with microaggressions at work, dealing with clowns in managerial roles, you name it. So let me tell you about this podcast that is about to be your new best friend. If you are looking for a show that's going to help you thrive and navigate corporate America while you're still side hustling and come out on top, this is the show for you. It's called The Trill MBA Show. The host, Felicia, is the trillest MBA you will ever meet, and she's all about helping you survive and thrive in corporate America by giving you the truth and the real. It's like the read meets Oprah's super soul conversation meets church. Felicia openly shares her own journey. Not everyone does that. She shares her real journey, including her layoff, her tough work conversations, plus features expert guests to give you real strategies to overcome career hurdles. So just search for the Trill MBA show in your podcast app. It's available everywhere you listen to podcasts and make sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Let's get into investment a bit. So you and Ty have gone through the process of raising money for your business. Talk to us about that process. Let's go through this. Number one, why did you decide to raise? Mm-hmm. Well, um, I will say this. We we ended up with, with our fundraising um, events, ended up landing us on what I consider to be the saddest and the best list out there, which is the number of African-American women that have raised over a million dollars for their tech companies. We were, I think, number 33 on the list. Um, and, and we're in 2019 now, right? So mm-hmm. you would think there would be like thousands of us. Um, but fundraising was not easy um, by any means. I remember the very first investor meeting we sat down at, we walked in, and the gentleman turned around. It was one uh, white guy and one Asian guy. And the white guy looked at us across the table and said, huh, well, I'm glad to know that you guys aren't two white men from Stanford with button ups. I was like, oh, OK, is this how we start a meeting? Like, <laughs> so where, where, where did you go from there? Now, my heart of hearts, I want to I want to think that he was just trying to be funny. Yeah. Um, but that was our like welcome to um, welcome to financing and welcome to investing one on one. So so investing for us once we decided that we were going to uh, finish out you know with the bootstrapping we were going to move away from you know the accelerator program so we had done the top two in the nation you know what where do you go from here now we could have gone back and just said well we're going to build 
with the revenue that we bring in every month. We just know it's going to be a little bit slower, but we wanted to run faster, which meant that it made sense for us to go out and do VC funding. Now, today, there are a lot more different options out there. There's crowdfunding. Um, you know, Don Dixon of Popcom just raised over a million dollars with her token, Secure Token. So there are a lot more ways now that you can get funded. And we did um, a little bit of a hodgepodge. We first realized that we can go out and win these pitch competitions. That's free money. Like it usually comes with no um, equity requirement from your company. So if you win a $25,000 pitch competition, that's 25K that rolls into your bank that you can use to grow the business. Uh, but then when we went out to VC to, for venture capitalist funding, it took us 13 months to generate in a closing of 13 weeks. So 13 months of meetings, and then in the last 13 weeks is when all of it kind of fell together, which was crazy to me. Um, some people can you know, draw an idea on the back of a napkin and go talk to three people and get $5 million. That was not um, our story. We're first walking into rooms with people who not only do they not look like us, but they don't understand the beauty industry. Many investors pull money out of their pockets and invest in things because they use them themselves. So it's easy to paint the picture of Uber or Airbnb or Uber Eats or whatever the case is, right? Um, it's harder to say, okay, well, this is the beauty industry and this is how this works. And, and so they, they don't have anyone to go talk to in many cases. Like they can't say, oh, well, I want to ask my wife about this or let me go ask one of my other investment friends about this because no one has that kind of deep knowledge and experience that than we do. And so walking into those rooms, having to have a very simplified message, having to have a very tailored message, and then having to talk to them in terms that they understood. So in the early days, we'd come in and talk about, you know, we're in the beauty and barbering industry and we help people find space to work. Like, okay, that sounds well and good, but we really had to change that to, oh, this is a B2B marketplace where we have customers on both sides, right? The supply side and the demand side. And, you know, once the network starts to grow itself, you know, it becomes like, you know, an Airbnb of hair. And, and in fact, actually someone called us Hairbnb. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> yes. Exactly what your share is in a nutshell. Um, at least right now in the early days. Uh, but yeah, just knowing how to, um, how to talk in a language that they understood really helped us. And then it was, Again, hearing hundreds of no's, honestly, over and over and over again, and having to pick yourself up by the bootstraps, walk into the next meeting as if someone had said yes, because you have to walk in with the same amount of passion and the same amount of vigor and same amount of determination than you did just five minutes ago. How did you identify funding sources? Is there some like giant list of VCs and, and Silicon Valley and, you know, you're just going down the list, you're setting up meetings because this is a 13th month process. So how how does this all work? Yeah. So it's funny you asked that question. Um, so there are, quote unquote, secret lists that live in some of these accelerator and incubator programs. I won't be too specific, um, but because they've done this, you know, they do this multiple times in a year. And so they get some great feedback from uh, from the founder saying, I went to visit XYZ investment group. They were awesome. Or I went to this investment group and I was sexually harassed. And so they're actually grading systems within um, within these companies. Uh, but we even then, if you have that information, you still have to do the work of identifying which one is best for you. So for example, I would not go to um, a B to C company that was focused on children's education, right? Like they have no experience and probably no 
um, no regard for what our B2B marketplace brings. But if I go to someone who has experience in excess capacity marketplaces, like Structure Capital did, that's a perfect fit because they totally understand our goal. They totally understand the vision. Um, we speak the same language immediately. They have experience in that realm and can connect us to other founders who are further along than we are. Um, or maybe I go to someone in the beauty industry because, again, the conversation is a lot easier to have. So you still have to do the work, even if you're given a book of, hey, these are the best investors to go talk to. You still have to do the work of, OK, what's our core mission? What's our core vision? Who fits in with our personality, you know, our um, ethics, our integrity, who would we want to help, you know, make more money for? Because that's at the end of the day, that's what you're helping to do for your investors. And how did you prepare to pitch? Because I I know that you've been through, you know, the accelerator program and obviously you're going to learn what to put in your deck. You're going to learn stage presence and all of this. But I imagine that every pitch is different. And are any of them conversational? Like, do you have to know how to kick off the conversation, make it personable, present without seeming like you're just, you know, reading from a deck? Mm, wow. Let me think about that. I, I think for me, what helped and, and Ty and I had to think really hard about who was going to be the, the face when it came to pitching. We could have easily changed it up or we could have just had him stand up there and pitch. Right. Usually the CEO does pitch. Um, but there were a few things that were that were happening that we recognized um, just at a macro level, which was more women uh, were starting to start companies and get funding. Um, there were fewer black women entrepreneurs. And so we wanted to use that to our advantage, like mm -hmm. to stand up and say, oh, yeah, we exactly are unicorns. We're even more than that. Um, and so I remember our first pitch was uh, for Tetco. Um, it was in the semifinals. Um, and we were, again, just doing what we knew how to do. You know, me working in marketing for 20 plus years, um, my husband, you know, having to you know teach classes and as an educator, as he is in the industry, you know, we would just use each other to uh, to get feedback off of. Um, and so I was used to standing up in front of large groups of people and sharing ideas, usually just reporting on metrics, right? Not mm -hmm. kind of pitching. But we just painted a story and we tried to make it super simple and super easy. Uh, what we did take away from those incubator and accelerator pro programs was that you got to focus really on five things. If you hit at least these five things, the questions will probably be a little less after your pitch. And that is you got to talk about the problem that you're trying to solve. Talk about the solution and how you've come up with the, the best thing next to sliced bread. Talk about the team and why you guys have a moat, what's your special uniqueness, and why is it that you are the best ones to solve this particular problem. Talk about your traction, and traction doesn't have to be revenue. It can be number of cities that you've launched in, or it can be uh, numbers of downloads that you've had. It doesn't necessarily have to be around a dollar figure, but it, that is very helpful. And then talk about the total addressable market, like how big is this potentially, can this uh, problem that you're solving be for, for an investor? And so we figured if we hit on those five things constantly and kept saying the same thing over and over again, tweaking it a little bit from pitch to pitch, then we were going to win out. And so again, we in our script writing, it's very conversational. It is, hey, here's the problem. This is who we are. This is why we're the best at it and why you should definitely bet on us um, and then give them the opportunity to think about it and ask you know, follow up questions. I love that. I think that will be very helpful for everyone listening who is preparing to go down this path, knowing those five things. And I'm sure it will be reinforced as people join programs. But curious about that last piece, identifying mm -hmm. your market size. How did you guys go about doing that? 
we had to go backwards. So, you know, there's nothing out there. Like we couldn't say, oh, you know, the share sharing economy industry for car rides or for hotels is this big because people have already done the work and they've already estimated that. We had nothing. And so we said, well, gosh, you know, how do we even put a price tag on this? We knew a couple of data points. So we knew what the average um, price per day on the ShareShare app was. We knew um, on a broader scale what percentage of salons and barbershop space lies empty every day. Um, we knew how many licensed cosmetologists and barbers there are in the U.S. And we knew um, how often new salons were rolling on and how many were closing. And we also knew how many salons and barbershops existed in the U.S. And so we just backtracked and did some back of the napkin math. And that's how we came up with our total addressable market potential, which I still think is is super small compared to what it can be. Were you ever surprised by any of the questions the VCs asked? No. Um, and I think that's because of the hard work that we do every day. Right. It's it's not by accident that we know more about our business than they do, right? You should always know more about your business than um, than a VC. Now, granted, some VCs, you know, if you come in and you say, we're the Uber for dogs, right? Or we're the <laughs> whatever, and they've invested in Uber, they're probably going to have some really good questions because they kind of been through the rigmarole a little bit. Uh-huh. But in general, no, we, we always know more about our business than than an investor does. We're helping to educate them, which is a good thing. And then if they, again, have experience in a marketplace, maybe, or B2B, um, something similar to a, to a, what ShareShare does in servicing this, commu- this particular community, then they're helping us a little bit. But no, at, at the end of the day, we always have more information, more metrics, more data. I mean, we're, we're coming up with data that's never existed before in our industry. Like nowhere, nowhere can you go with Google and say, how much is the, the average salon space by the day? Like Got we it. came up with that search term didn't even exist before on Google. And now people are searching for, you know, rent, rent barbershop space by the day. And what comes up first is sheer share. So no, so we're, we're creating data that's never been accessed before. Love it. Are you still a marketing consultant? Do you guys still have the salon? If not, when did you go all in? Oh gosh. Um, no, so no, I have no, there's no way. <laughs> there's no <laughs> consult in this year share. It's just no, we have a team of 11 now and okay. that only unique challenges, um, which uh, I am totally in love with, with what we're doing um, and how we're giving back to, um, to help shape the American economy and help make sure that people who choose this industry have every tool that they need in order to be successful. Yeah, there's no way. There, there's, there are not enough hours in the day for just sheer share. I can't imagine trying to do this and something else. Um, but I went all in in 2016, which is when we um, came up with our MVP. So after that, it was like, we got to cut ties. And if we're serious about this, jump in. Um, Ty came in very soon thereafter, but we still have, we still own our own salon. It's still an award-winning salon here in Plano, Texas. Um, But our family, it's been a family business since day one. And so our brother still manages that. Um, Our nephew, it still works out of the salon. So no, it's still part of the Caldwell family, but you know, we cannot be there every day. There's no way. (laughs) And speaking of going all in now, a lot of people lose money in their first few years of their business. What has been your experience? Oh, yeah. 
when it was just Ty and me and, and we were starting out, because we actually, the first day that our MVP became available um, on the app store, we had our first booking. And we knew, we expected that that was going to happen anyway, because this was the very first stylist, you know, that random phone call that came into us. And so she was just waiting for us to come up with this app and she knew when it was launching. So actually the first day that we launched the app as our MVP, we had our first booking. And so it was easier when you only have a team of two right, to manage um, the income and the outgo. And so we were making a little bit of money month over month. But as you start to hire and as you start to scale, that requires more investment and headcount. Um, I'm so very happy that we have the best team um, in, I feel, in all of tech. Because in the early days, there were so many different headaches um, yeah, that Ty and I went through. Like, like how do you do this? And wh- how are we going to find time to market this? And who's going to do um, the books this month? And then who's going to make sure we file taxes? And that's just the back end stuff, right? That's not even just like customer support, answering customer questions. Um, and so when we started hiring, things became a lot um, more bearable and a lot easier. So we were able to, um, yes, lose lose money, but it's it's in a good way. And, and the investors that we have on our cap table, they understand that. This is not their first rodeo. Mm-hmm. Um, they actually want us to spend the money and spend it smartly, uh, but in, in making sure that we are able to scale. So that means for us, making sure the product is A+, making sure that we're attacking the market, and we own the market, right? So no incumbents can come in and say they do anything that we do better than sheer share and that we hire the best people. Because if you have those uh, foundational aspects in place, there's nothing you can't accomplish. And how has it been to raise awareness of the app to market it so that there are more stylists using it? Yeah. Yeah. So about 40% of our um, users come to us by word of mouth. And that's not a surprise to us because that's how the beauty industry operates anyway. Right? If someone says, hey, Courtney, you know, I love your hair. Who did it? You're going to share with them who right. did it. And so that's how we as stylists, salon owners, barbershop owners find new and cool tools anyway. Um, so, so almost half really of people come to us by word of mouth. And then from there, it's Google and Instagram. Um, our people do not hang out on Facebook. When we invested in Facebook ads, that was an epic fail. Um, oh, interesting. <laughs> and I'm so happy we are not no longer advertising on Facebook. Uh, but, but yeah, so Instagram and Google are our main two um, uh, places besides word of mouth. Now, what is next for ShareShare? So, you know, today we are empty space, fill a space, right? But even from day one, Ty and I envisioned ShareShare as this huge B2B ecosystem that provides any tool that a stylist or barber or salon owner needs, any kind of beauty and barbering professional. So for us, that means um, not only can you book space to work by the day on ShareShare, but eventually you'll be able to purchase professional liability insurance by the day on sheer share. Um, so booking your space to work and then saying, oh, I just need insurance for Thursday, Friday, instead of mm-hmm. paying in advance entire year, not needing it or using it. And then uh, when you think about finances and taxes, like you never ha- have independent stylists or freelance barbers had access to something as simple as pay stubs. And so when you walk into a bank and you say, I want to refi my house or purchase a car or get a loan for my kid's school, they ask us for like 10 times the amount of paperwork because we're considered a, a higher risk than someone who walks in with a pay stub from Oracle, for example, right? Mm-hmm. And 
because we've tripped over ourselves and we have the blood, sweat and tears to, to prove it, um, we've said, no, we have to right this wrong. And so actually we have um, available to our ShareShare users where they can get access to pay stubs, free weekly pay stubs. We will give them access to a free tax savings account. We'll estimate their quarterly taxes for them because um, many of us don't care about, don't want to learn how to do that, but it's so vitally important for the health of our businesses. And then we'll file their quarterly taxes on their behalf. Um, and, and then we're not even thinking about or talking about yet products on demand and uh, retail sale through. And so again, any B2B tool that a stylist, salon owner, barbershop owner needs in order to be successful, we want to provide that because we know where we've had to fall down and we want to remove that hurdle from our industry. Wow, the opportunities are really endless. That is amazing. All righty. Now we're going to jump into the lightning round. You just answered the very first thing that comes to mind. You ready? Okay, I think I'm ready. All righty. <laughs> Number one, what is a resource that has helped you and Ty in your business that you can share with the Side Hustle Pro audience? Mm, you know, it was actually um, getting a business coach. Um, Robin Ward from Founder Forward um, was in an immense help with that. And and let me just say, side note, I know this is a lightning round, but she didn't focus on the business first. She focused on the individual first. And so she always drove home the fact that your business is only as healthy as you guys are. And that was a really refreshing take for getting coached up in this thing called startup world. Wow. Okay. Number two, what's been the best business book that you've consumed this year? Oh, yeah. So my, my goal this year is to read one new book a month. And so far, it has been Howard Schultz's uh, From the Ground Up. He's the, the past CEO of Starbucks. All right. Number three, what is a non-negotiable part of your day and why? Meditating. Um, it removes, for me, it removes all the noise so that I can see what the big rocks are that I and only I um, need to cross off the list for the day. I have to have it, have to do it. All right. Number four, what is a personal habit that has helped you significantly in your business? Going vegan. <laughs> oh, really? Tell us more. <laughs> It, it happened, a lot of things that Ty and I do are by accident, right? But this one was because we had had a little bit of a health scare early on and we had done some research. The doctor wanted us to come back 30 days later to do blood work again. Um, in our research, we had found that we needed to change the way we were cooking certain things and eating, did that. 30, late, 30 days later, the doctor said, what have you done? Uh, and we told him what we had done. And he said, if everybody did that, if all my patients did that, I would be out of a job. And so from there, that made us start researching even more. And we just saw the effects on not only our physical bodies, but like my mental capacity. Like I feel like every morning I can get up and solve all the world's problems because I have so much more clarity of thought. Um, and then learning that every 31 days, your body, our bodies rebuild themselves from what you ate the 30 days prior. And so why would I want to rebuild my cells from dead dead things. I want to be giving myself life. And that helps me to think differently. That helps Ty and I, I mean, honestly, just in our marriage, um, helps us to relate better. You know, we can solve better problems when customer support comes to us with something we have. It just, it in every aspect of life, I'm, I'm a better mother, I'm a better friend, a better daughter. And I feel like um, it has helped, going vegan has really helped with that. All right. And then finally, number five, what is your parting advice for fellow women entrepreneurs who want to be their own boss, but are worried about losing a steady paycheck? 
Oh, yeah. I was one of them. Um, so this is easy for me. Uh, I would say, ask yourself what I asked myself. I said, okay, so if I have this great idea or I want to do something different, honestly, what is the worst that can happen? Like for me, the answer to that question was, oh, then I put my resume back out there and go back to corporate America working for somebody else. Like if that's the worst, if that's the worst that can happen, like you, you have to try it. You have to bet on yourself a thousand times. I love that. And now where can people connect with you and Ty after this episode? Well, I'll just go ahead and share my personal email. It's Courtney at Shearshare.com. Um, if you guys have stylist friends out there or maybe you're a salon owner yourself, please go to Shearshare.com to um, get access to not just the free app, but tons of helpful articles and tips. Again, things that we've suffered through in our lifetime, having beauty feed our family for the last 25 years that hopefully are a help to you. And then again, the app is available on um, on the App Store and Google Play for free. And you guys can follow us on Instagram at Shearshare. All right. Thank you so much for being in the guest chair, Courtney, for being generous enough to give out your personal email. Um, don't complain to me afterwards if you get too many emails. <laughs> so thank you so, so much. Not a problem. Anytime. And there you have it. Hey, guys. Thanks for listening to Side Hustle Pro. If you want to hear more from me, head on over to sidehustlepro.co forward slash side hustle corner to get my weekly side hustle diaries chronicles about my own journey from passion project to profitable business. And if you want to find me online, I'm at side hustle pro on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Don't forget to join the side hustle pro Facebook community. Go to sidehustlepro.co forward slash mastermind. And as always, if you love the show, do me a favor and subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes. Thanks, guys. Talk to you next week. Oh, 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 o